I initially thought about having a slide up there as my title slide that said things I've wanted to say for seven years. But I like to think that when I had things to say, I went ahead and said them. And that uh, if I had something I needed to say to you, then instead of making a sermon out of it, that I'd come and talk to you. And I hope that's the way it works most of the time. And there are all kinds of things that I thought about, about what kind of things do I want to leave you with to remember as as you continue on in a new segment of your life as a congregation and as we go on in a new segment of our life. And there were all kinds of things that came to mind, and there's certainly warnings and exhortations about overcoming sin and following the pattern of God that I, I certainly know that we all need to remember. But for the most part, I think probably you know most of those things. We just have to be reminded now and again. And so what I wanted to leave you with this morning is something that I hope you can carry with you no matter what else you face or hear throughout the years to come. I want to begin by asking you a question. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Some of us, when we look in the mirror, we see gray and wrinkles, freckles and spots. Some of us see somebody that we think is too fat or too thin or too slow or too something. Some of us see somebody that's not smart enough or not quick enough, not fast enough, not something enough. Some of us see somebody who's got a good mask on but inside is struggling and worried that folks might actually be able to see deeper than that surface level. Some of us, when we look in the mirror, we see all the sins we've ever committed, and we're afraid that it's as obvious to everyone else that they can see it as well. Some of us see somebody who's desperately trying to be good enough, but on the inside we all know that that just can't happen. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I want to share with you this morning what God sees when he looks at you. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see all that stuff that we see. Look in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. John said, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. When God looks at you, He sees a beloved child. You are a beloved child of God. He sees somebody that he wants to know him. 
and he wants to be close to him. He sees a beloved child of God. I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about that this morning. I told Richard we're just not going to have any PowerPoints. Just talk for a few minutes. And before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you so much. You sent your Son to die for us while we were still sinners. You've redeemed us and you've forgiven us. We're amazed that we can be your beloved children. We pray that you would help us to remember that's what we are. Help us to live that way. To live as your children. To love you. Strengthen us, please, and help us to grow so that we can love you more and more each day. That our lives can be about serving you and those you've placed in our path and not about ourselves. Father, help us to lift you up. To honor you. Father, I pray that you would be with this congregation. Help the brothers and sisters here to remember who you are, who they are to you. Father, I pray that you will guide them and strengthen them and continue them on your path as they have been for years. And help them to continue to grow in love for you. We love you so much, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. You know, on the one hand, for us, talking about God loving us is so common that we just almost pass over it, and yet for many of us on the inside, there's that little bit of us that says, I guess I have a hard time imagining how God could love someone just like me. And I, I want to reiterate, you are a beloved child of God. And I just want to show you what the Scripture says about that. Look in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. In John chapter 1, Verses 12 and 13. John wrote, But to all who did receive Him, that is Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Have you received Jesus? Do you believe on Him? Then what this text says is that you're God's child. God loves you. And He has given you the right to be a child of God. You are a beloved child of God. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. We need to remember that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world with you in it. For God so loved the world with you in it. Not just all those folks out there in the world. For God so loved you. For God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 demonstrates God's love for us. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's God's love. He saw our sins and He sent His Son to be a propitiation for those sins, to be the sacrifice that takes away God's wrath. 
That's how much he loved us. He sent that sacrifice himself. Put your finger there. We're going to come back to this passage in just a moment. But look again at what Romans 5 says as it drives this nail home. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul wrote there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Christ do this? When did God send His Son? God didn't send His Son once you became good enough for it. God didn't send His Son once you had gone to church enough for it. God didn't send His Son once you put enough money in the collection plate for it. God didn't send His Son once you had started doing enough of the right things for it. God sent His Son while you and I were still sinners. That is how much God loved us. If you're like me, you sit back and question why. Why is it that God loves us that much? Well, how could God love us that much? Go back to 1 John chapter 4 and now look at verse 8. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We need to remember that. God is love. Why does God love you? It's not about you. It's about Him. Why could God send His Son while we were yet sinners? Hadn't done anything worthy of love or deserving of love? Because God is love. God doesn't love us because we're pretty enough or smart enough or, or well-off enough or, or healthy enough or righteous enough. God loves us because God is love. And what that means is no matter what happens to you in your life, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you become, no matter what happens to your body, what happens to your mind, none of that stuff, no matter what, God loves you because God is love. I want you to understand what that means in a very practical way. There is not anything you can do today to make God love you any more than He already does. And there is not anything you can do today to make God love you any less than He already does. Because no matter what you do, God is still love. You are a beloved child of God. It's hard to say sometimes. It's hard to look in the mirror and say, I am a beloved child of God for some of us. But I hope that you can remember that. I hope that can, can grow inside of you. I hope you can say, I am a beloved child of God. In fact, why don't you say that with me right now? All of you who feel comfortable doing that, Say that with me. I am a beloved child of God. I am a beloved child of God. Look at yourself in the mirror. And when Satan wants you to see all that other stuff, which is his way of trying to get you to think that God doesn't love you, look yourself in the eye and say, I am a beloved child of God. But if we are beloved children of God, that should mean something in our lives. 
that should mean some things about how we live and what we do. And I'd like to share a few of those things with you. The first thing that we need to keep in mind is that if I am a beloved child of God, if you are a beloved child of God, then what we need to do is trust God. And just give our lives over to Him. Trust Him and let Him guide us. Follow His way. Because His way works. Look at Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What this text says is God wants to give us good gifts. God does give us good gifts. He doesn't want to give us the serpent and the stone. He's giving us bread and fish. In fact, He has given us many good gifts. James chapter 1 and verse 17 reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift has come from above. Because our God loves us and gives us good gifts. And so we need to trust Him. One of the great gifts that He's given us, of course, the greatest, is His Son. But as we consider that sacrifice, second to it, I believe, is the Word that He's given us by the Holy Spirit. That we might learn the next right thing. That we might learn what to do to serve and glorify and honor Him and what we need to do next. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us about the Word that God has given us. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We can spend time in this gift God has given us, and let's just do what He says. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, when Paul thought that he was seeing the Ephesians for the last time, he told them about this word, and he said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's way works. Let's not argue with it. Let's not try to get our way into His way. Let's not try to figure out how we can make Him be saying what we just want to do today. Where have our lives gone when we've been the ones leading them? Let's just let God lead them. If we're beloved children of God, let's trust His way for us because His way works. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Why would we want to get on Jesus' narrow way? It, it, it's so much harder and it's, it's difficult. Why would we want to do that? 
because it's his way that leads to life. When he has demonstrated this way to us, it wasn't to see if we could be good enough to check everything off the list. It was because the directions he gave work. If we're beloved children of God, let's just trust him and do what God has said because God's way works. If we're beloved children of God, we need to seek His blessing and see His blessings. Look again there, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. It talks about asking, seeking, knocking. Everyone who asks, receive. Those who seek, find. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Who does He say He's going to give good things to? It doesn't say how much more will He give good things to those who want it. It doesn't even say how much more will He give good things to those who need it. What does He say? How much more will He give good things to those who ask Him? Our God wants to bless us. So we need to seek His blessing. Ask Him for the blessing. James chapter 4 and verse 2, James said, You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. How many of God's good gifts go unopened by His children because we simply don't ask? Seek God's blessing. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, we've all heard this verse. We've had sermons on this verse. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you're like me, the struggle is too often you begin to think, I've got to get my stuff taken care of And then I'll start trying to connect to God. And what he's saying is he wants to bless us. If we'll just connect to him, seek his kingdom and righteousness, he'll take care of us. He'll provide for us. Seek his blessing. But at the same time, as we're seeking his blessing, we need to see his blessing. Because all too often we spend our time thinking about the things that we have asked of God and want from God and He hasn't done yet. And when we think in that, we can neglect what God actually has done for us and the blessings that God has actually given us. He has given us so many blessings. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus died for us. We have forgiveness. We have redemption. We have sanctification. We have salvation. We have a brotherhood. We have an advocate with the Father. We have the Father. We have a relationship with the Father. All these blessings that God has given to us and and bestowed upon us, and we need to spend some time seeing those blessings. Counting those blessings. Recognizing, indeed, God has done great things for us. And even in the physical realm, in the material realm. In Acts chapter 17, 
verse 25, as Paul is preaching on Mars Hill. Paul said about our God, He's not served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Let us not take for granted the fact that we're all breathing here today. That's a blessing from God. He could have taken that away this morning. The health that we do have. Anybody eat this morning? Anybody eat yesterday? If y'all are like me, sometimes you kind of sleep into the last minute and we just put that off till lunch. But anybody planning on eating lunch today? Yeah, I mean, let's not take that for granted. It is God who gives us life, breath, and everything we're eating today. Oh, but I don't know about tomorrow. Well, let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's not let tomorrow ruin today. Today we're eating. Today we're breathing. Today we're moving. Let's see God's blessing in that. So many blessings. We've got houses to live in, cars to drive, clothes that we're all wearing. I think about the last couple weeks when we got home from our vacation. Well, what a blessing there to get to go on vacation. How many people in the world actually get to do that? And yet most of us do. We got home from vacation and our plenty backed up and had to rip out three rooms. And as I was sitting there feeling a little bit sorry for myself and, and thinking maybe God was picking on me, it occurred to me that maybe the borrowers would trade places with me. And so would all the other flood victims. And as I was sitting there thinking about the fact that, oh, man, we're going to go five days without air conditioning. This is so awful. Instead, thinking about the blessing that, you know, I've had air conditioning my whole life. I think some of you probably haven't. And I guess I have air conditioning now again. That's a blessing. We had to leave our house for a couple of days because it wasn't safe, they said. And yet there were homes that were open for us to go to. That's a blessing. So often, it's so easy for me anyway to look at that negative side and begin to think God's picking on me. Instead of taking a look at the blessings He's really given us, we need to seek His blessings and see His blessings. We are beloved children of God, and God is blessing us. And we need to see that. If we are beloved children of God, we can put our fears behind us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, Paul wrote, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have been adopted by the God of the universe. He looked down upon us and said, I want him to be my son. I want her to be my daughter. We become His children. He says we weren't adopted so that we could go back into the slavery of fear. We can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. God of the universe is on our side. What do we have to fear? Paul goes on to explain this more in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nobody and no thing can separate us from the love of Christ. We can, if we love Christ, nothing can overcome us. We don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. Tribulation, trouble, stress, it comes upon us. And if you're like me, sometimes you begin to think, oh, I wonder if there's some kind of message in all this for me that I need to be learning. For me, maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Didn't mean that for any of these folks. We don't have to fear. God does love us. We are beloved children of God. We can put those fears behind us. And like the psalmist in Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, we can say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. We don't have to fear. God's on our side. Whatever we're going through right now, God will get us through it. He sent His Son to do it. We can put those fears behind us. We'll just hang on to God. If we are beloved children of God, we need to trust God because His way works. We need to seek and see His blessings. We can put our fears behind us. And finally, when we mess up, we need to run to God and not away from Him. When we mess up, we need to run to God and not away from it, because God loves us. Look again at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Remember what it said? While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Jesus die for us? He didn't die for us when we had the wool pulled over His eyes, making Him think that actually we were pretty good. He died for us while we were still sinners. He knew everything we were going to do. He knew every mistake we were going to make. He knew every sin we were going to commit. No matter how horrific, no matter how awful, God knew that. Look in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Here's what David had to say about it. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows us. He knew us before we were born. He knew everything about us. And what did He do? He sent Jesus to die for us anyway.
And yet, when we sin, sometimes we have a tendency to want to run from God. Like Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. They hear the voice of God and go hiding because of their shame. We might do that by isolating ourselves from the things of God and from God's people. We might do that. We might try to hide by ramping up all our righteous acts and looking really good. We might try to hide by putting on that mask, hoping that we can get good enough before we actually let people know the things that we've done. Oh, I don't know how many Christians I've heard tell me about the things they used to do years ago, but we sure are afraid to talk about the things we did yesterday. Because we're afraid if somehow it was known that God wouldn't love us. God would be angry and His wrath would come upon us. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 shows that's not how it works with God. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. God's wrath comes when we try to hide it. But when we come to him and tell him, this is what I've done, he has mercy. asking, what would have happened to Peter if when he was walking across the water and his faith began to crumble, when he began to sink, if instead of crying out to Jesus, he had decided to try to hide from him? What would have happened? What would have happened to the woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8 if when she saw Jesus across the crowd and she knew that she was unclean and that touching him might make him unclean and he'd get upset, all those things, what would have happened if instead of going and touching the hem of his garment, she had instead tried to hide from Him. Or what about the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7? As she came into the Pharisee's house, what if instead of going to Jesus and washing His feet, what would have happened if instead she tried to hide from Him? And what about the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15? What would have happened to him if instead of coming back to the Father and throwing himself on His Father's mercy, if instead he had tried to hide from Him for the rest of his life? What would have happened to all of those people? But they didn't hide. They came back. Healing, forgiveness, salvation. What's going to happen to us? We try to hide from God. We must not. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. God loves you. And He wants you to come back to Him and lay all that out. If He wants to give you the good gift of forgiveness. We are beloved children of God. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I carried this in. I had it under my arm. Gordon said, oh, what you got there? I held it up. He said, oh, a picture of me. I said, yep, and I'm using it in the sermon this morning. What do you see? I want you to see somebody that God loves. 
I want you to see somebody that I love. First John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let's live like that today.